Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 63 of the Hydrogen Nowcast for October 14th, 2022. The Hydrogen Nowcast is sponsored by New Day Hydrogen, who's helping fleet owners meet their zero emission vehicle needs. If you're with a fleet or transit operator, and your fleet is wondering how to convert to zero emission vehicles but still meet your operational needs, New Day Hydrogen can give you the option of fuel cell vehicles by providing public hydrogen fuel stations near you and showing you the available fuel cell trucks, vans, and buses. To find out more information about both vehicles and fueling, visit the NewDayHydrogen.com website, where you can also submit requests on the contact page. Well, listeners, for at least 16 years now, I've been seeing scientific papers describing new, low-cost alternatives to the platinum group metals, or PGM, used in fuel cells and electrolyzers. You know, in fact, a few years ago, I heard of a meta-analysis that documented at least 1,500 papers describing alternatives to the precious metals. Yet, to my knowledge, few, if any, of those have made it to production. But now, a company called H2U Technologies is analyzing and making sense of all these alternatives and is looking for ways to bring some of these to commercial production. So I reached out to H2U Technologies And Dr. Catherine Rinaldi has graciously agreed to come on the podcast and help us make sense of this catalyst chaos. So, Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. And please, you can call me Kat. I uh, love what you're doing here on this podcast to help educate people on all things hydrogen, and I'm super psyched to be with you today. All right, Kat. Well, thank you for your time to be here today. You know, I think probably the best place to start might be for you to give the listeners an overview of HTU Technologies and what your business model is around both hydrogen and oxygen catalysts. Awesome, of course. So first and foremost, H2U Technologies is an electrolyzer company. We make low capital cost, iridium-free, proton exchange membrane, or PEM as I'll call them, electrolyzers that are really well suited for pairing with renewable electricity to make clean hydrogen. So basically, we make the devices that make clean hydrogen. And we find the non-iridium catalysts that we use in our electrolyzers using this ultra-high-speed technique that we call the Catalyst Discovery Engine, or CDE. And I promise I'll try not to use too many acronyms. Um, But the CDE is basically a tool that allows our scientists to synthesize and determine the activity of catalyst materials faster than you'd be able to do using any other technique out there. This method was developed over 10 years of research and development at Caltech that was funded by the DOE, and now it's been licensed to H2U. So as you mentioned, there's been a lot of research on the topic of non-PGM catalysts, but all the currently available PAM electrolyzers that you can buy in the market today still use platinum and iridium. And this is going to become a real problem as using these materials is simply not sustainable. There's literally not enough iridium on this planet to meet the expected electrolyzer capacities that we've seen forecast to meet net zero goals. And so H2U is actively working to solve this problem. And with our catalyst expertise, we're on track to introduce the first non-iridium PEM electrolyzers in 2023. Excellent. Well, thanks, Kat. Um, I think it'd probably help the listeners if you told us what your role is within H2U. Yeah. So I first joined H2U as a catalyst engineer. I got my PhD in chemistry at Caltech, where I studied the role of hydrogen and renewable energy systems, looking from both a more technical and then a more broader systems perspective. And when I finished up in grad school, H2U was really just getting started. 
Um, my PhD advisor, Nate Lewis, is one of the co-founders of the company. So I'd heard about it and I was able to get involved right at the beginning. During the first year that I worked there, I helped to build and operate the CDE, which is our catalyst discovery tool in our facility in Chatsworth, California, along with my really amazing coworkers. There's really a truly incredible group of scientists on the technical team at H2U, and it was pretty inspiring to work with such a highly talented, intelligent team. So I'm super thankful for that. And it's honestly been amazing just in the startup world instead of in academia to see the pace at which things grow. HGU has really developed a lot over just the past year. Um, so now I started as a scientist, but now I'm actually, I'm located in Washington, D.C., and I'm the director of government affairs for the company. Excellent. Well, thanks, Kat. So, you know, at the start, I mentioned the Platinum Group Medals, or PGM, as we've been referring to these. Could you maybe for the listeners explain this group of elements and the role that they play in electrolyzers? So the catalyst is kind of like the engine that drives the electrolyzer. Like you can't really make hydrogen without it. So right now the platinum group metals are the main catalysts in there. And so there are six platinum group metals in general. Uh, there's platinum, palladium, rhodium, iridium, ruthenium, and osmium. And these materials, they're grouped together because they have similar kind of chemical and physical properties. But when we're looking at electrolyzers, some of these materials, so the platinum and the iridium, they act as catalysts. So basically they're the material that drives the reaction forward. An electrolyzer, it takes in water and electricity, and then it splits the water into its two components, hydrogen and oxygen. So it needs two catalysts, one for each of those reactions. And then the, the state-of-the-art catalysts for PEM electrolyzers at least, are platinum for the side that makes hydrogen and iridium for the side that makes oxygen. These materials, they were chosen as catalysts because they're extremely active. So you get a lot of output of hydrogen for a minimum amount of energy that you have to put into them. And then they're also really stable. So they can last under normal operating conditions for years. So this all sounds really great. Uh, you might be thinking, why do we want to replace these? But the issue is that they're extremely expensive and they're also extremely rare. So just looking at iridium, because that's really the rarer and more expensive of the two. And that's where HGU is kind of focusing its initial efforts. If you look at the cost historically over time, since the beginning of 2021, it's typically been over $4,000 for just an ounce of the material. It's even reached as expensive as over $6,000 for an ounce. So this is a really expensive material. And then to make matters worse, it's also incredibly rare. So nearly all the mineable iridium on our planet actually came over on the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. Uh, it's kind of cool. That's how scientists figured out what catalyzed that massive extinction event. They basically looked in the geological record and they saw this thin layer of iridium-rich deposit there. And they know that iridium is actually really rare on the planet Earth but it's far more abundant out in space and in asteroid material. And so that was kind of the first clue that the asteroid might have been what killed the dinosaurs. So anyway, that's just a fun little story. But to bring us back to planet Earth, my main point that I'm trying to make is that iridium, this material that's a key component of the electrolyzer technologies that are going to be really essential devices in the decarbonization of our energy systems... This iridium material, it came to the Earth in very limited supply on the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. And hopefully we won't be having another event like that anytime soon. So discovering alternatives is really essential if we want the hydrogen industry to 
scale to the kind of degrees that many people are talking about and actually planning for. Wow. So how much iridium do we really need and how much do we have? I mean, uh, most of us probably aren't too familiar with how much is in an electrolyzer. Can we make it work with what we have? Yeah. So as I said, we have really limited supply of iridium and hopefully more won't be coming anytime soon. Uh, But that's a great question. So there's a great perspective that came out of Stanford this past year that evaluated kind of the case for reducing non-precious metals. And when they're talking about iridium availability, they put it in terms of production, which I find to be a useful framework to think in. So when we're thinking about production today in the entire world, we produce about eight to 10 metric tons of iridium per year. And so then when you're thinking about state-of-the-art PAM electrolyzer technologies, you need about half a ton of iridium for a gigawatt of electrolyzers. So people are predicting future installed electrolyzer capacities. I've seen up to 1,400 gigawatts in 2050 to meet energy needs. And so if you started today, you started diverting every single bit of iridium that's mined every year starting today, you'd need almost 80 years to get all the iridium we need to meet the 2050 projection. And that's taking all of the iridium. It's not even thinking about other applications that we have for it, some of which are also growing, like iridium is used in 5G technologies. And so there's really not enough to meet our needs. And of course, you can think of other ways to alleviate the problem, like you can strategize to lessen the amount of iridium in your electrolyzer, or you could think of ways to recycle the iridium. So when you're retiring an old electrolyzer unit, you know, getting that iridium out and then reusing it for future installments. But even with those options, I don't think you'd be able to make ends meet to reach those goals. And especially when we're thinking about problems with the climate, I mean, this is a problem that we're solving against a ticking clock. And so we want to give ourselves the maximum number of options. We want to diversify our solutions so that we best set ourselves up for success in decarbonizing our planet. So exploring alternatives and validating them under real operating conditions is really essential. Okay, well, thanks, Kat. So what about platinum? I know platinum is used in catalytic converters and in jewelry and things like that. And of course, the catalytic converters will go away as we convert to fuel cells. Maybe is platinum not a problem? I wouldn't say that it's not a problem. I would just say that the thing is that iridium is such a problem that that's kind of why we're focusing on that in the near term. So going back to this framework of production, so iridium is actually mined as a byproduct of other platinum group metal mining. So that's kind of why it's so low. And the platinum production is actually much higher. It's more like 180 to 200 metric tons globally per year. So it's still not a huge supply, but it's less of an issue than the iridium. Also, platinum is really good at evolving hydrogen. So you really only need a little bit of it in the electrolyzer to get good results. So state-of-the-art PAM electrolyzers, they use around one milligram per centimeter squared of platinum loading in the electrolyzer. And the iridium loading is usually double that. So iridium you have less of on the planet, and then you need more of in the electrolyzer. So that's kind of why we're focusing there now. The cost of platinum, you're right, it's absolutely a factor. And if we could find something that's way cheaper, but still as active and as stable as platinum, that would be great. And it could really help reduce the cost of electrolyzers. So I still think it's really an issue that's worth investigating. I just think that in the near term, focusing on iridium is more important. So that's kind of where we've started our efforts. 
But our catalyst discovery technology is fully set up to look at catalysts for platinum replacements as well. So when the time comes, it's a problem that we're definitely interested in looking into as well. Wow, that catalyst discovery engine sounds really powerful. So I'm glad you've got that. Well, you know, as I mentioned at the start, there are thousands of papers out there describing new catalyst combinations. You know, how does H2U go about testing and analyzing this huge number of possibilities? Right. So there's been a lot of work, really great work coming out of academia on new catalyst combinations that could potentially replace the materials like iridium and platinum that we're talking about today. But there's still definitely a lot of progress to be made. And that's kind of where H2U is focused. So there's kind of two ways that I think about it. One, there are promising catalyst candidates that have been discovered in academic settings, but there's work that needs to be done to translate the results from in a lab, on a bench, to in an electrolyzer that's out there in the world making hydrogen. And so this translation work is really important. And then there's also a lot more discovery work to be done. So there's always more stable and more active catalyst materials that can be discovered. So starting with the discovery side, we really have an advantage because our catalyst discovery engine, the CDE, is a really powerful tool. And an easy way to kind of think about how the CDE works is you can think about all the billions of possibilities of catalyst materials like stars in the sky. And if you were going to go through and look at each star one by one with a pair of binoculars, that would take forever, right? And you might not be able to see everything because the binoculars aren't that powerful of a tool. So that's kind of the traditional way of looking at catalyst discovery. You go one by one and you only have a limited space you can explore. But the CDE is like looking at the stars with the Hubble telescope. We can see the whole picture a lot more clearly and a lot faster. And so our technique can determine the catalytic activity of materials around 10,000 times faster than traditional methods. So the speed here is really the main difference. And to be a little more technical, because I know, I think your listeners can handle it. Uh, what we do in the lab is we make a plate of materials that has an array of, say, four to 500 little spots. So each spot is about the size of, if you think of a Q-tip, like the little tip on top of the Q-tip, that's about the size of the spot. So each one of those spots is a different catalyst. So we have this plate, it's got a couple hundred catalysts on it, and then we make them, and then we confirm that we made what we think we made. And then we test their catalytic activity using a custom-built device that's called the scanning droplet cell. And basically how that works is it scans across the plate, looks at each of one of those little dots, and it runs a quick 3 to 10 second experiment on each spot that tells us how active the material is. And in this way, we can rapidly test an entire plate that has hundreds of catalyst materials in only a couple hours. So we use our subject matter experts, the rich scientific literature we were talking about, and the massive amounts of data that are coming off of our CDE tool to guide our search and to continue to iterate toward the most active catalyst options. And then once we find a hit, that's where we kind of get to this translation stage that I was talking about. So we find a hit on the CDE. Now we need to make sure that it actually works in an electrolyzer. So we pass it off to our nanoparticle synthesis team. They make patterns of the materials, and then they incorporate them into our electrolyzers. And that's really important because it goes from the benchtop lab experiment to a real product. So H2U really takes the material from the very beginning catalyst discovery to operation in actual iridium-free electrolyzers that could really help our transition to a clean energy system. 
Wow, that is fascinating. So where would you say the state of the art now stands regarding commercializing of these uh, suitable non-PGM catalysts, both for hydrogen and oxygen? I'd say that there's a lot more progress that needs to happen and needs to be supported if we're going to see the commercialization of these non-platinum group metal catalysts. In good news, we're seeing huge support for hydrogen in the government with legislation like the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and the Inflation Reduction Act, and that really creates an environment for the industry to grow. Uh, In particular, the DOE's Clean Hydrogen Strategy, they just released this Clean Hydrogen Strategy Roadmap just a couple weeks ago, and it basically highlights specifically the need to minimize our dependence on critical minerals like iridium that are, again, are extremely expensive and in scarce supply in only a few locations on Earth. So that's really promising because I think for a long time, this was an issue that was really being discussed in academia and there were a lot of research papers coming out, but there wasn't this kind of big push at the top level for, hey, this is a problem that we really need to address and we need to address now. And so that's really exciting. We believe that HGU is really at the forefront of developing low-cost, highly efficient electrolyzers with non-PGM catalysts. Our catalyst technology offers a lower-cost option for use in green hydrogen production, and we'll be introducing what we think will be the first non-iridium PEM electrolyzer in 2023, as I said before. We also have some really exciting customers lined up for these first proof-of-concept units, And this kind of testing out in the field is really a huge step forward toward actually eventually commercializing these products. So as I said before, there's been lots of paper coming out of the lab looking at these non-PGM catalysts, but testing them in real products that are working under real operating conditions is really essential if we're going to see the commercialization of these materials. And so applications for our pilot electrolyzers, they include things like natural gas blending, hydrogen fueling stations, steel production, and green ammonia production. So if any of your listeners out there are interested in obtaining a pilot unit for their project, please just reach out to us because we really want to get these units out there so we can continue to validate and test them and really help to bring the electrolyzer industry much closer to eliminating its dependence on costly materials like iridium. Well, thanks, Kat. Well, I'm really excited about what you're doing there, and uh, it sounds like it's got a lot of promise. So best of luck with that. Well, listeners, I've been talking with uh, Catherine Rinaldi of H2U Technologies, and their website is h2utechnologies.com, just all one word with .com. Kat, thank you so much for your time to be with us today on the podcast. If listeners would like to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, thank you so much, Brian. It's really been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, listeners can simply email me at, I have a really simple email. It's kat, K-A-T, at hgutechnologies.com. So feel free to reach out to me there. Well, great, Kat. Well, we'll be sure to have you back on the podcast again if there's a, a new development or some announcement to be made. So thanks again. Yeah, I would love to join you again. All right. Very good. Well, listeners, if you enjoyed listening to the Hydrogen Nowcast, consider subscribing to the podcast and also give us a rating in your podcast app. A good rating helps us be discovered by other people. And of course, word of mouth recommendations are really important. So consider letting people in your own network know about the Hydrogen Nowcast. And once again, I'd like to thank New Day Hydrogen for sponsoring the Hydrogen Nowcast. New Day Hydrogen is working to build out and deploy hydrogen infrastructure to enable any of us to convert to zero emission vehicles. 
And lastly, if you'd like to contact me, I'd love to hear from you. And you can reach me through the website at colorado-hydrogen.org or on LinkedIn. So until next time, this is Brian DeBruin wishing you health and prosperity. Goodbye.